Can you go from deathbed to a full-blown movement generating action? Stay tuned and find out. Okay, here's the question. How are we dark horses? You know, the ones everyone is betting against, the ones they don't expect to win, place, or even show on the track, and they'll even laugh on us when we talk about trying. How do we show the world our greatness and triumph? Well, that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. This is the Dark Horse Entrepreneur. My name is Tracy Brinkman. What is up? What is up? What the hell is up, my Dark Horse friends and family? Welcome back to your weekly dose of overcoming adversity learning. I'm your Dark Horse host, Tracy Brinkman, and you, well, that, my friend, is infinitely more important. You are a driven entrepreneur or a business owner or one in the making. Either way, you're here because you're ready to start, restart, kickstart, just start leveling up with some great marketing, personal, or business tips and results in order to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And man, do we have a fire of an episode for you today. We're going to be going a little bit deeper as Vera Lee shares her multiple bouts with death, abuse, losing her voice, not just once, but twice, and her her empowering perspective coming out of the other side of these, well, let's call them adventures in this thing called life. Plus, I want to let you in on next week's interview episode's guest, whose book is about to uh, hit the uh, shelves, and it's called How to Make More Money in Business by Doing the Right Thing. Man, we need so much more of that, don't we? As per usual, the Dark Horse Corrals are chock full of personal business and marketing, G-O-L-D, spilling from every corner of the Dark Horse Entrepreneur HQ. So let's get to the starting gates and go. All right, my Dark Horse friends and family, today's guest is my friend, Vera Lee Kerno. Now, Vera says she's an ordinary woman who has harnessed the power of creative energy and a powerful determination to overcome immense adversity in her own life, including several disabilities, a chronic illness, multiple near-death experiences, and surviving domestic violence and, yeah, sexual assault. And as if that wasn't enough, years later, her voice disappears. I believe it was for a second time as a result of some life-saving treatments where they were uh, using to open her airways by paralyzing her vocal cords. And now through this, she used her artwork as a form of communication as well as a healing energy. She's here today. She's going to share about her Why Me movement, her Why Me podcast, and how she uses her artworks and her podcast to share hope, connection, and empowerment through creative exploration of healing and personal growth. Man, and don't we all need a little personal growth? We talk about that a lot around here. Vera, welcome to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's wonderful to be with you again. And yeah. of course, I had I had you on my podcast and we had an amazing conversation and I'm looking forward to being I, able I, to guess for you. I was I was definitely honored to to come on your podcast and tell a little bit about my story. I know uh, I've, I've overcome a few things across the uh, my fifty plus years on this big blue spinning globe. But I, I'm going to shut my mouth. I want to step back from the mic and let you tell your story. Uh, tell the audience, you know, about these adversities and maybe you know why it is you ended up doing a podcast to share these kind of things. Hmm. 
Let me tell you a little bit about where I came from before where I am now because they're very, very linked. I'm going to take you into a moment in time. I had been struggling to breathe. I had just had life-saving treatment to have Botox injected into one of my vocal cords to keep my airway open, to keep me alive. I was extremely large in my size because I'd been very ill for quite some time and I was on a very heavy doses of a drug called cortisone or some people know it as prednisolone. So here I was, I'd had this life-saving treatment and for the first time in my life, my oxygen levels were at 100%, not even on external oxygen. And I had never had that even while being on an oxygen mask before. So I felt fantastic. I thought, yay, I've finally got some sort of treatment for my condition that's going to allow me to live life. It's going to allow me to do all the amazing things that I know that I can and will do in my life. This is fantastic. I feel great. I'm not blue. I can breathe. You know, this is this is the start of my new life. Within 24 hours of that procedure being finished, I was half an hour away from my little rural town in New South Wales. My dad was driving me home and I knew something was very, very wrong. I could feel that my lungs were constricting. I could feel my throat started swelling up, but it wasn't like all the other times. And I'd had many times where I'd survived death to this point from suffocating from these conditions that I had. The condition that I'm specifically talking about is vocal cord dysfunction. And my airways actually close when I breathe in because my vocal cords don't operate the way that they're supposed to. And so I knew what this felt like to be struggling for air, but I knew that something was really different this time. And what had happened was that from a reaction from this treatment, my vocal cords had swollen up and there was no way that I could force the air in. And so I started noticing my body shutting down and it was the most scary time of my life I had never gotten to that point where I knew I couldn't keep going on my own I always had that extra reserve that I could pull on in previous asthma attacks and previous you know emergency visits and then I'd had many and this time I knew there wasn't anything left in the tank I knew that I couldn't help myself and we were half an hour away from help And so I did everything that I could to try and center myself in that moment and try and and find every last little bit of reserve that I didn't have to try and keep myself going to end up at the hospital. By the time I got there, I was not in a good state at all. The doctors were running around trying to work out how they were going to deal with me. They didn't have an ICU that could cope with someone with my conditions. And so a decision was made to put me in an induced coma and to fly me down to Melbourne to an ICU that would have some hope of trying to save my life. And this was a huge decision because at the time, as I mentioned, I was very, very large. And being a chronic asthmatic, having vocal cord dysfunction means that someone like me is extremely difficult to intubate. And so just putting me in a coma and intubating me in the first place is a decision that is a last resort decision. And then to have me transported on a plane to a place that is a four-hour drive away, I'm not sure how long that is because I was out to it by the time it happened uh, with the air flight. Right. But 
yeah, it's a very dicey situation. And at that moment, I knew what was going on and I knew I couldn't keep going myself. And so I gave them permission by nodding. I couldn't talk, but I gave them position by nodding. Yes, you need to do this because this is my last chance to survive here. And being faced with your mortality, I'd done it before, but this time was really different. Mm-hmm. This was so dark. It was such a shock to me because I'd been on such a high 24 hours prior going, wow, I've got hope that I'm going to live this amazing life that I've been trying to live. And finally, I've got this diagnosis. Finally, I've got some treatment that's working. Finally, I've got some energy in my body. You can't take all this away from me right now. No, I have far too much to say. I have far too much to do. And so I was in a coma for a couple of days. And when I woke up from that coma, that was the last time I asked, why me? Why is this happening to me? And that was where the Why Me movement was born because I was given a second chance. All of my family had been told to say their last goodbyes. Nobody expected that I would survive that coma. And obviously I did survive the coma. And I often say to people, when I woke up, the sky had never looked so blue and the greens of the grass and the trees had never looked so vibrant and been so healing to me. And the warmth of the sun had never felt so comforting and nothing in the world had changed except for my perspective that I knew this was my second chance in life. And I physically by far I was a long way from being able to live that life that I wanted I needed to re reclaim that hope that I'd felt a couple of days prior right and that was going to take effort that was going to take work and a lot of hard work but I was willing to do it and it took me a long time to actually put the why me movement into place publicly but I can tell you there was a lot of thought there was a lot of looking for myself. There was a lot of asking why, not why me anymore, but there was a lot of asking why did I have these experiences and looking at the opportunities to be able to share the message to other people that even in the darkest, most dire circumstances in your life, there is still something that we can learn. There is still hope to cling on to, even when your body is shutting down and you can't do anything yourself about it still believe because there is so much that we can do on this earth there is so much in in connecting to that really deep place inside yourself and understanding who you are and your purpose on earth that is enough to keep us going okay we're going to take a minute we're going to take all that in right because that's (laughs) That you know, that's huge, and I, and I knew uh, you know, a, a lot of, of your story, and I want to be sure that you shared that with everyone. Is that is like whoa? I mean, I, and I know when I came on your show and shared my story, and it's like okay, here's what I've been through, and then you you hear a story like yours, and we haven't even talked about any of the other stuff you've been through. That's just <laughs> one moment in time where you're like, all right, here's my moment. I'm feeling great. I'm finally can breathe. You know, my body's getting the oxygen it needs. I got that energy to go and take on the world and bam, right? There's that gone. Now, uh, this is maybe more curiosity for me. When you, uh, when you woke up from the coma, did, did it feel like you'd only 
just falling asleep or what was that like to come out of that? Is it like in the movies, you know, like, Ooh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I jest a little bit, I'm sorry, but you know, it, tell me what was that like? Mm, I think just is a great thing to do. And I think that we need a balance in life of being able to look at things in a humorous way because mm-hmm. everything can't be heavy and dark all the time. This is true. And yeah, it's that balance we have. And, and so I think that my experience was very different to the people around me, to my family who'd been saying their last goodbyes to me. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden I was able to wake up for me. When I went into the coma, I had a vision of my grandfather whom I'd never met because he wasn't alive when I was born. He, he died a couple of years prior. And this is my father's father. Mm-hmm. And he came to me just before they put me under and said to me, Vera, it's going to be okay. And those words were significant to me at that moment because up until then, I was feeling panicked because I knew my body was shutting down. I was feeling worried because I knew I had so much to offer the world and yet here I was being taken away from it far too early. Mm -hmm. And so to hear those words and that message put me in a mental and emotional state that I said, okay, let's do this, I'm going to be okay. And so when I woke up from the coma, I hadn't been there for three days. I felt like my soul had been taken care of while my body was being worked on to keep it alive. And so for me, it was like, okay, I've woken up. Let's just continue with life. And so it wasn't a big moment for me in that Uh, respect at that time. Yeah. And so at that moment, I still had all the tubes in. I had a pick line going through directly into my heart. I had all sorts of things going on. And I woke up. And I was no stranger to having lots of things all over me. So even right. that part wasn't new. And so I woke up and was a little bit surprised as to why people were so concerned because it, it wasn't like I'd forgotten what happened. But mm-hmm. I just went into that coma knowing I was going to be okay. I had that belief. Nice. nice. And so for me it was like, okay, I'm back. I'm here. Um, and they were then worried about the tube coming out if I was going to breathe on my own. So they were having this big discussion over in the corner with my parents, and I'm like, can we just get this tube out? Like, come on, can we just get on with it? (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I was just very matter-of-fact about it. And it wasn't until when I described that scene of of the colours in the world and that perspective change that I had, that was a few days later. So Mm -hmm. that was actually when I'd started recovering in the hospital when I was able to get up and move. And then when I was taken back to the specialist and the hospital where that procedure was done so that they could check over me and see what was going on, it wasn't until that moment that it hit me so profoundly. Wow, this wow. is really what happened. Nice. Yeah, and that moment changed everything. There's, I, think, I think we all have those moments I don't think we all recognize them. Is it's probably the real challenge in life, right? Mm. Um, you were lucky enough to recognize yours, and, and like you you described so well, you know, the sky never seemed so blue, and I bet the air alone probably never tasted so good, right? Mm. And you know, your next yeah. meal, you're like, ooh, this hospital <laughs> food actually is yummy, you <laughs> <Yes>. know, <laughs> and, and, and things like that. Where you're like, wow, I, I've been taking these little these little things. For, for granted. Uh, and I think so many people have had a moment like that, but haven't taken that perspective. Because like you said yourself, nothing else had changed. 
the mm-hmm. world soldiered on for those three, it was three days, right? It was three days Correct. that you were in your coma and you wake up, the world's still the same. Yeah. It was you and your perspective that had pivoted so radically. Um, now, I, I guess, and, and this is me, I just want to dig a little bit deeper here for a moment. Mm. If you hadn't had, had that 100% oxygen hit prior mm-hmm. to this event, do you think you still would have had that great outlook? Oh, it's a great question. Yes. If I had not had multiple near-death experiences prior mm, to that, no. Okay. Gotcha. So it was like I was trained for it. Gotcha. The fact that this one was a little bit different in that um, I'd started to feel my body shutting down, like different parts of my body had started mm-hmm. turning off, if you like. Um, that was a very tangible experience that I had not had to that point, to that level, particularly when my reserves were completely exhausted. And so I really didn't have anything extra. And that was the first time I'd been in that state to that level because we'd always had some level of intervention before that, that we could get to the hospital a bit sooner, that we could get drugs in quicker and um, stop me getting to that dire, Mm. dire state. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I was practiced in it by then. Nice. I know, mm. um, I, I think the closest that I can try and liken myself to your, I had as I had acute asthma growing up. Yeah. I was lucky enough in that as I got older, um, my asthma seemed to, I want to say go away. It really didn't go away. I learned to manage it a whole lot better. Um, but when I remember when I was young, it was it would get brutal at times. My parents were always the ones that said, you know, learn your limits, listen to your body, right? You're going to learn that when your body does this, it's time to stop. Um, yeah. But I was one of those people that I would push it. I would, you know, <laughs> I, I'd listen to the body and say, okay, I'm going to go just a little bit further than that. And then yeah. I would stop. And there was this one time when I pushed it too far. And I had this wicked asthma attack. And we're talking back in the 70s when the medicine was like this nasty syrupy stuff you'd have to take and it, that wasn't working. And, uh, you know, and, and, and for anybody who hasn't experienced this, for me, it's like inhaling and then inhaling and then, you know, just keep trying to inhale beyond your ability to inhale. Because for me, it, it, what I learned, it was it wasn't. I couldn't breathe. It was, I couldn't get enough air back out because I wasn't breathing out enough. So now your lungs are literally filled to the point of popping and you're trying to, you know, you're just trying to get that next breath of air in, but you can't. And uh, my dad was driving me to the hospital and we get to the parking lot. Uh, It's in Fort Hood, Texas. And uh, we get out and my dad's six foot three. Now, mind you, I was probably nine. So I was probably like, three foot nine. And so his long strides, my little legs are trying to keep up. And I stopped at a car after probably about 50 feet and I'm panting, trying to, you know, like you said, the reserves are gone. I have nothing left in the tank. And my dad takes probably about five, 10 more steps before he realizes I'm not at his side anymore. And he turns around and this look on his face. Mm. And I'd never seen my dad run to this point. And he scoops me up, throws me out, you know, the, the, the whole over the shoulders, the legs are on either shoulder. And he's all but running 
into the hospital at that point. It it makes me smile thinking about it now, you know, and it made me feel safe then because, oh my God, this big man is doing this for me. But, you know, it's Mm -hmm. that panic moment. You're like, oh my God, I, I can't get any more in i have no because every every other time prior to that i had been able to manage it to the point where okay i push the air out i can get a little more in and i can get it under control and uh, I, that's the closest i can get it and i know it's a long way it's like level three versus your 99 <laughs> but you know i guess i was trying to imagine that while you were talking about your breathing it's uh it's pretty scary so yeah now you mentioned this is um, well. I you didn't mention. I knew this is the second time this life saving procedure. The second time you had lost your voice. Yeah. So I'll I'll clarify something here. So after I woke up from that coma, mm-hmm. I didn't have a voice because when you paralyze one of your vocal cords, you can't speak. And so I spent two years in that state, not being able to speak. Oh my. Yeah. Um, the first time that I lost my voice was a metaphorical loss. And it was in response to the brutal rape that my husband had Mm. subjected me to, um, during our marriage. And that moment to explain what happens to you as a person Mm -hmm. and to explain what happened to me specifically, it was the first time that I literally went into survivor mode and separated my consciousness from who I was with my body. Mm -hmm. And that was a safety mechanism at that, that particular time during that event that I instinctively did to protect my soul, essentially to protect my emotional status, because it was just too painful on too many levels at Mm -hmm. that particular moment. Yeah. And so I spent three days crying, curled up in bed, And didn't know how to speak the words of what had happened. Didn't know who to turn to. Didn't know anything because I was really quite naive. This was my first sexual partner. He was my husband. Mm -hmm. He was the man who was supposed to love me. And yet he brutally raped me. And it wasn't the first time he'd raped me, but this one was the most significant physically for me. And so it took me quite a few years and it wasn't until I got out of that relationship completely left that relationship got into a support group with other domestic violence survivors that I learned how common sexual assault is within a domestic violence relationship and it was for me the importance of being in a space with other women who had been through similar experiences to have that level of knowing without having to get into the nitty gritties of what happened. So I found that when I walked in that space, as I looked at each of the faces around this room, and as we went through the rules of the group, there's no identifying people. There's no repeating what is being shared in here. I talk in general terms because I'm allowed to do that in that what I got out of that experience was that level of knowing in everybody's eyes, we were all hurting, but we were also all reaching out for connection and we were wanting to know how to share our stories. And a lot of those women did share verbally their stories. For me, I still struggled with the words. 
thankfully there was an art therapist that was running the group Mm -hmm. and she allowed us to express in many different art forms some of those emotions and experiences. And so I found my voice through my artwork Mm -hmm. and then as I embodied who I was as a true artist because I'd always been artistic and I know we spoke a little bit about this in our episode in that it's so important to really understand who you are at your core, what it is that makes you you. And so what this process was allowing me to do was to strip off the layers that I had put up through all of these traumatic experiences and to really get down to the bare bones of who I really was Mm. and who I wanted to be. And at that point in time, those two things did not align. I was not living as the person who I wanted to be and I needed to learn how to accept who I was after all of that trauma and everything that had happened in that moment to embrace my creativity, to embrace my ability to express in other forms rather than just simply verbal. And so I did a lot of artwork that was pouring out these emotions and my story started to develop in ways that people were understanding without the spoken word, which was a really enlightening experience for me and it's something that I've continued to do ever since. You're now listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. I eventually started writing poetry and creating works that were moved along with that poetry. And then eventually I found my physical voice to start speaking about what had happened. And I would speak on a number of different stages as a domestic violence advocate at the time until my life then took me on another route, which was the chronic illness and trying to survive financially and, you know, all the flow on effects of, of, being a single mother with a young child who has right. left, it, left a relationship, gone through trauma, already had disabilities and chronic illness, that the overwhelmingness of that whole situation and trying to heal in the middle of it, trying to go through statements with the police about all the sexual assaults, all that mm. sort of stuff, it all sort of, it was like a brick upon brick upon brick that was weighing me down and my body reacted accordingly. And a little bit like you were saying that, you know, you would have your body saying, okay, you need to stop now and you would push it. I was pushing it all the time. Right. And and so, yeah, I, I didn't give my body enough time to heal and to work through things and it just gradually broke down further and further until I was in a state that it was constantly overwhelmed and and really not dealing with things. And for me, That came through my respiratory issues. I had severe asthma from a a child, so I understand that constriction of breathing out. Mm -hmm. Then with the vocal cord having the constriction breathing in, it was Mm -hmm. like a a whole different level. Um, And so, yeah, it was was difficult. And yet I always tell people these experiences is what makes me me now. These experiences is what allowed me the permission essentially to give myself to say, Vera, you need to do this work on yourself. You need to really understand who it is that you are because once you can line up who you want to be and who you are, it's an amazing feeling of freedom really is what it is to not be concerned about what other people think of you and to simply be in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And that is something that breathing teaches you when you struggle with breathing. And I would love nothing better than to take breathing for granted. And I, right. right. And I explained to people, you know, I used to look around and say, you're all taking breathing for granted because I couldn't do it. And, and, you know, it's that thing of what we focus on 
it, it exemplifies. And and it's like, yeah, I couldn't breathe. And I'm watching other people just doing their thing, breathing. And I'm like, I wish I could be like that. Right. Yeah. Some um, of them probably even doing it with a cigarette in their hand, right? Yeah. Oh you, my gosh. You were really taking it for granted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, do you know how many people I saw walking outside hospitals that were there in their wheelchairs on on oxygen and smoking? Uh, a, a lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that, certainly. to be honest, that used to make me feel quite angry. Now I've let go of that anger um, because I understand each person to their own, each person can control their choices yeah. and, and each person will deal with their own consequences of their behaviour and their choices in life. And my choice was to understand that process. And so what what the whole breathing issues did for me was allow me the space to be present with myself in every moment. And breathing for me was that two-part process. I was forcing the air out of my lungs because of the asthma and I was forcing it in Mm. because of the vocal cord dysfunction. So it was always that two-part process for me. And what I learned was that you have to be extremely present in the moment when you're going through something like that and being present in the moment is a skill. I think it takes practice. And when you really get to that point of understanding who you are, it becomes something that can be more natural that you can look at yourself in the mirror, for example, and see that person staring back and be comfortable with where you're at in your journey right now. But it takes a lot of work to get there. And all these things forced me to do that work. I think that's, that that's, there's, I think therein is, therein lies the magic, right? Whether mm-hmm. something forces you to do the work or something happens, or you're like, you know what? I've had enough of this. Mm-hmm. And, and it can come in, in so many ways, right? In a couple of the ways you unfortunately have had to experience, um, where you're like, that's it. I'm done. Enough of that. I'm getting out of this scenario. This is not who mm-hmm. I am. I'm going to go this way whatever that way is, right? And even if that way isn't the way you continue forever, it's away from what you know is not you, right? Yeah. So um, I think if there's anybody out there that's going through anything, and I, I mean way beyond just the extremes we've been discussing here of domestic abuse and sexual attacks and what have you, if they're going through anything, you know, even, and I think there's, there's a, a level of domestic abuse that's mental, as well, right? Yes, Where yes. there's, I'm not touching you, right? But I'm saying the things to you that make you feel like shrinking back into yourself. Well, that's mm-hmm. an abuse to me as well. And anyone yes. that's going through any of that, reach out mm-hmm. to a trusted member of your family, to a anybody, I don't care who, but reach out and get the assistance you need to to own who you are, right? And mm. but then that comes back to taking the time to ask yourself those tough questions, to look yeah. in the mirror and say, "Who are you? Who am I?" <laughs> right? Um, mm. I, and sometimes that's it's almost like looking back into the abyss, right? When you're, especially like you're saying, when if you're mm. in the middle of it, for me, it's really difficult because I'm in the middle. I'm trying to handle things, right? I'm a fixer right? Something's broke. I'm trying to fix it. And sometimes when you're in the middle of a broken situation, it doesn't need to be fixed. It needs to be gotten out of. Mm-hmm. Then you look back and say, all right, what, what, what should I learn from that? What should I glean from that as a part of my 
growing experience and learning. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And I think, I think that, I mean, you touched there on a few different things. I think that one of the most important things we need to understand is that there's always somebody who cares. And so when we're going through yes. these situations, and they're very complex a lot of the time, and like you said, we're right in the middle of it. Sometimes we need to get out of it. And often the getting out of it can be the support of somebody else with a different perspective, somebody coming in and saying, have you thought about this? Have mm -hmm. we considered this? You know, what are some of the steps we can put into place here to, A, get you out of this situation, mm -hmm. B, support you through it, and C, to really start helping you become aware you know, of the choices you've made, of that thinking pattern that's going on inside your head. Because when people are very manipulative in a mentally abusive way, in an mm -hmm. emotionally abusive way, because abuse comes in a whole spectrum. Amen. There's financial abuse. There's there's emotional abuse. There's, there's physical abuse. There's sexual abuse. Now, mm -hmm. I'm one of those people that until I went to that support group, my idea of physical abuse was being punched in the face, you know, or being beaten up. I didn't quite make the link between sexual abuse being a form of physical violence, which it is. Yes. Amen. And yet for me, I didn't make that link at the time. And so there's all, and then there's a whole heap more complexities right. within the abuse cycle. And so often it's about having somebody external come in to support you, to say, okay, let's look at putting some structure in place here. Because when right. you're in the midst of chaos, structure is what you need the most. And it's simplifying certain things. It's about saying, okay, let's deal with the biggest issue here. Now let's look at some of these other layers. Let's right. look how we can support you. Let's look how we can start to get to know how to help you embrace who you are at this point in your journey because that's the other thing I learned throughout these experiences. There were times in my life I didn't like who I was. Mm. I didn't like who I was because of the choices that I made that got me in certain situations. Mm -hmm. So I had to get to a point where I accepted those choices. I'd always accepted accountability, but I had to accept those choices and also accept that the way that other people had treated me was their choice. And so if that was their choice, that didn't belong to me. And so it was a process of saying, okay, yes, I was physically abused. I was sexually assaulted. I was manipulated. I was all these different things. And yet that was from his behavior, not mine. However, I took accountability for the fact that I chose to marry this man. Mm -hmm. I had opportunities to back out and I didn't for various reasons. And so accepting that allowed me to be happier with where I was in that healing space and to really embrace the fact that, okay, I'm human. I did some things that I, in hindsight, wouldn't have redone. Right. However, they are done. I can't change them. So let's look at what I got out of those experiences. Let's look at how I can use those experiences to integrate into the person who I am. And mm -hmm. so often people talk about reinventing themselves after trauma. Personally, I don't like doing that. I say, why would I reinvent myself when the person who I was is perfectly acceptable, loving, wonderful, and unique? What I'd like to do is to accept these experiences, integrate them into my experiences and into how I think about the world from that different perspective yes 
and move forward in layering in all the extra things that I want to be and can be and will be and now am. And so it's that process of having support around you to help you through that really hard stuff. You know, when you're going through trauma recovery, it's painful. It is. And it is something that is a reason so many people avoid this process. Mm -hmm. But what I learned was to trust the process. Although I wasn't happy with where I was, particularly physically at that point in time, and even now I'm still on a journey, and yet I accept where I am right now. And that has allowed me the freedom to look at where I want to be in the future. Nice. Let's see. I just want to I just want to repoint out a piece of magic you put in there. Why reinvent yourself when you can just integrate your experiences, maybe the ones you haven't uh, you know fully accepted, right? They're your experiences. They're not my experiences. They're not Joe or Jane's. They're yours. Own them. Yeah. Right? And you know, bring them in. You know, learn what you can. Uh, yeah, instead of reinvent, just integrate. I, I, I might have to steal that, by the way. That's <laughs> that's magic right there. I really like that. So I think I know the answer to this, but I've got to ask it anyway. So do you think you would be the same today if you hadn't gone through the myriad of adversities, for lack of a better word, right? I, I think adversity is probably too shallow of a word. I mean, you've gone through some pretty deep things in, in your time. You think you'd be the same person today without them? I would be the same person physically. I would not be the same person emotionally, mentally, mm. in the impact that I bring others and also myself. I am extremely inspiring to other people when I speak now because of those experiences, because I can resonate with so many other people's experiences in life and a whole myriad of experiences. And so because I went through so much, and we've only just touched on a couple of things here, there's so much more in my story. It allows me to be able to create that space for other people that it's a little bit like that knowing I spoke about in the room of supporting um, mm -hmm. domestic violence. It's that knowing. And so, so many people that come to me and, and we have these conversations and, and as a guest on my show, it's that knowing that I bring and the ability to empathize with others mm -hmm. and the connections that come from that. I think that there's a different level of connection you can create when you've been through trauma because you have had to go through that process. You have yeah. had to inspire yourself. You have had to connect to yourself on a much deeper level. And no, I would not be the same person at all in those respects without the experiences. And this is why I have the Why Me movement and the podcast, because awareness of the opportunities within adversity, it again, it unleashes this whole freedom. It's it it allows us to explore so much more about ourselves and each other, and it allows us to create those deep, deep connections. And I'd just like to say something about adversity. So often we compare adversity to other people's. And one of the things that I talk about a lot on my podcast, and as a guest, you know this because I found your story extremely moving mm -hmm. and extremely, you know, I mean, losing a child, I, that's one of the, I don't have many fears in my life anymore, but that is one of them is losing my child. Right. And, right. and I often say to people, it's not about 
the level of adversity. It's about how adversity affects us yeah. and what we then do with it. And, mm. you know, I love what you, you're doing. I love how you've used a lot of those moments in your life to be the person you are today. And that is what I strive to do every day as well, is to really use those experiences to be able to help other people through theirs. Amen. And I know, I mean, it, it, to me, that's almost one of those duh questions. Of course, I wouldn't be the same person. <laughs> but, you know, having, you know, like I said, looked back into my own abyss moments, I know if, if I hadn't done that, uh, I would be a completely different person. And, yeah. and like I told you before, I mean, I wouldn't wish any of my adversities on anybody. And I know no. you the same for others. But you having gone through them, you know, you you can, like you said, you can empathize. I think I think your ability to empathize, it just really echoes. And sometimes I would imagine for some of the folks who have gone through some of the things you on, their inability to express them verbally. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. could be that you're, you're inspiring them via your ability to express it and share the stories of your, not just your own, but those you bring on the show. And they find yeah. that, okay, if she can do it and if they can do it, maybe I can do it. I just have to find mm -hmm. the right circle, right? Mm -hmm. And luckily you were able to find those early on. Phew. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're, yeah, we're, we're going deep here. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th that this is how the podcast came about because when I founded the movement, the podcast was not in the plan and it evolved to be in the plan because I realized my artwork speaks volumes and me speaking about the artwork speaks volumes. Mm -hmm. However, that is only one medium. And this is one of the reasons that I haven't released a lot of the video footage from the interviews yet because I understand through my experience the power of human voice, the power of the resonance. Yeah. And we do have a resonance. There is a vibration attached to our voice. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people who are in that space where they haven't yet shared their story, allowing them to hear people sharing stories and allowing mm -hmm. them to hear my story. I mean, when I was speaking, almost every single time I would have a room full of people with tears streaming down their face. I would have lines of people lining up to speak to me afterwards to say, thank you. What you have done is you have inspired me that it's possible for me to share my story. And then quite often they would start to tell me, some of their deepest, darkest moments that they've never shared with anyone. And in fact, on the podcast, many of my guests have shared parts of their story that they've never shared with anyone before. And so I really honour that and being able to provide the space and the inspiration for people to feel safe, non-judgmental space to actually share their stories and, and those profound moments that they've gone through. And so the podcast was a natural extension of the movement to provide that opportunity the reason that I've kept it for voice only at this point in time is that I understand some of these topics are extremely heavy. Some of the people listening have gone through these similar experiences. So I happen to know that a lot of my listeners are listening in the middle of the night in a dark room and being able to not be distracted by the video or sometimes intimidated by watching someone talk about you know, these moments, right. Right. they're able to just focus on that voice, allow that vibration to hit them in their heart and to connect with the voice, connect with the story. And that helps them to connect to their own story. And so it's a very powerful medium. 
absolutely definitely a very oh, i think it's magic what you're doing and i definitely appreciate it and i think another one of the things about the art piece is uh i like artwork and um i have frequented many a museum to look at some of the masters across time and there are some pieces that people are standing there and they're going ooh ah ooh ah and i'm like uh, you know, tilting my head like Skipper the RCA dog. And then maybe two pieces later, I'm looking in something and I'm ready to cry, just yeah. shed massive tears because it touches me. So I think in, in that sense, uh, different pieces resonate much like you were talking to the voice to differently to uh different folks depending on you know their their past experience and definitely mm. the voice will do that as well well beyond the vibration and the storylines just the way things are coming across I, I could turn you off the second sentence of my of my story and mentally you've clicked me off you're you're mm. still listening but you're like not nah, he said something that just triggered me and I'm gone, right? Yeah. Um, art works the same way. And yeah, yeah, I like that not being distracted by by the other pieces. <laughs> yeah. And I think to me too, it relates a little bit, you know, to that breathing process being a two-part process for me. It's, it's a little bit the same with my voice and the power of story. Mm -hmm. And I often say to people, I know the power of my story. Do you know the power of yours? And through my artwork, that is a visual medium that took the place literally of my voice mm -hmm. for so many no, so many times in my life. And so, so often when people look at the work, the reactions I get are very strong mm -hmm. and they're either, oh, I really don't like that. And right. instantly when I get that reaction, it's usually because it's touching something that they're either avoiding or they don't want to feel the pain of. Yes. And so it's actually doing the job it was intended on. It's mm. helping them to connect mm -hmm. through the artwork. They're connecting to something about themselves. The other reactions I get is, wow, I love that. I'm not really sure why or, oh, my gosh, this speaks to me because of. And so, again, it's linking into those emotions. And this is what visually we have this opportunity for people to choose how they're going to receive that information mm -hmm. and in a piece of artwork although the artwork itself is static mm -hmm. they're very transformational because of the amount of, of of emotion that's gone into it because of the process that i use to create these pieces it's extremely symbolic it literally every piece starts as a photograph I strip it back to light, shadow, and shape, and I strip it all the color out of it, and then I gradually blend in all the different layer upon layer upon layer. And when I was talking about getting to know who I was, stripping off those layers that I'd put up for survival, that I'd put up for protection, that I put up about I didn't like myself, this is this thing I don't like and this thing I don't like. I had to take all of that away. And I do the same with the art pieces. And then gradually putting in all the great qualities, all the uniqueness, all the experiences that I've seen the opportunity in those adversities. And so often when people look at the works, It'll speak to them because of the emotion behind it. It'll speak to them because of that process of the creation of it that creates that connection. And so, yeah, they they do work together, absolutely, but they're also two separate processes. For absolutely. Me. And I think the other cool thing about that would be somebody going through their 
let's call it their evolution, right? Wherever they are in their journey, if, if they're going through one of those pivotal evolution moments, um, the story being shared orally could hit them one way. And yes. when, they're, when they're three steps later in their evolution, it'll hit them differently. Same thing with a piece of art. I could be looking at the exact same piece of art, but now because I'm somewhere else in my journey, I'm going to connect with it differently. Either I'm going to remember the emotion it brought to me before with a smile or with a with an anger, whichever it is, it's still an emotion. Uh, or I'm going to think about it differently because of where I am now and, and yes. what it inspires. Ah. Yes. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that is something that I do talk about a lot in that I have pieces of artwork in my office that I look at every single day. Mm -hmm. These pieces I created when I was probably in my worst moments of my life. I was going through the toughest parts of my healing journey. And yet I look at these artworks and each day I will see and feel something a little bit different because I'm at a different part in my mm. journey. And that's one of the things I love. And that's also how I explain adversity to people. When we're right in the moment, it can be very, very tough. And again, it's not about the level or type of adversity. It's about the fact that you're going through something that you're struggling with right yeah, now. Right. Yeah. And so when you honor that, when you come out the other side of it, that adversity is going to look a little bit different. And mm. so it's about honoring that process, honoring that journey. So, yeah, I, I love that artwork can do that. And that is something that I do explain to people that they will at different times in their life when they've got a piece there on their wall, they will start to feel different emotions as they change. Nice. Nice. Mm. Vera, I could sit here and I could jam with you like yeah. this for hours. This is such good stuff right here. It's it's connecting and another I want to be mindful of your time here. Um, if folks want to learn more about Vera Lee and the deep Vera Lee and all your <laughs> magic, where do we want to send them to? Yes, they can contact me on social media at Vera Lee Original. And I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Twitter, uh, not Twitter, sorry, um, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, they're the main ones. And you're yeah. on Clubhouse too, aren't you? I am on Clubhouse. Why me, girl? Absolutely. Girl? All right. Yep. I don't want to uh, make sure. But we're <laughs> going to get all those social, we're going to get all those links into the show notes so yeah. people can just click their way and find you as easily as possible. Yeah, Vera, I, I, I loved hanging out with you again. We're going to have to do this again, maybe in like six or eight months or so. Sounds Connect great. up and see, you know, where we are in our journeys and maybe we have whole new stories to share. I'm sure we will. <laughs> All right. Thank you so Thank much you. for hanging out, Vera. I definitely appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tracy. Phew. There you have it, my dark horse friends and family. My friend Vera Lee Kernow dropping some deep, deep dark horse bombs on us this week. Whew, let me share with you a few thoughts I came away with, and there were so many. I just want to scratch the surface a little bit here. The first one is the power of storytelling. Right at the beginning of the episode today, right, uh, Vera started off our conversation by taking us into a moment of time when she was having those troubles breathing due to a, the life-saving treatment she had just uh, undergone. I mean, as she told that story, could you literally feel the energy and the vibe of the show change? I mean, it just, it shifted 180 degrees as she took you into this journey into her past. You see, this 
my friend. That's skillful storytelling. Now, Vera didn't call this out specifically, but I wanted to make sure that you notice this as Vera does it so well. And we're going to be chatting a bit more about storytelling tomorrow in episode 183, why your business needs you to be a good storyteller. Thought number two, turning why me into opportunity. Now, Vera was on her deathbed. And I'm not even saying that figuratively. I'm saying that literally. Coming out of the other side of that experience, her Why Me movement was born. She didn't jump up and start a podcast or a website or a charitable organization, but she did come to realize that nothing in the world had changed except her perspective. And this is very powerful. I want to dig deeper into this one in episode 184 on Wednesday, where we're going to talk about turning adversity into your advantage. Thought number three, well, of course, an empowered perspective. Vera came out of her coma and that sky, it never seemed so blue. The colors around her were brighter and they were more vivid. But here's the thing, the sky, yeah, it was just as blue as it had ever been. The colors in her world, they were the same as they were before everything had happened to her. But it was her new empowered perspective that had made all those changes. That is where some really powerful things can happen for you. They happen for her. And to help bring that to the surface for you, I'm hoping that uh, when we dive a bit into why perspective is such an important aspect of your journey, be it entrepreneurial or otherwise, we're going to dig into it a bit more in episode 185, why perspective will always be important. And thought number four, find a way or a group where you can express See, Vera has been through some uh, hellacious challenges in her life, and no one should have to face those kinds of things, let alone endure them. That, and that's just my humble opinion. But face them, she did. Endure them, she did. Luckily, they didn't break her. She learned to face who she was and looked at who she wanted to become. Luckily, she was able to find a support group as well as a medium. And in her case, that medium was art where she could channel and express all those innermost feelings into the outer world. Have you faced your demons? We all have them, right? Have you faced those demons and the lessons that they bring? I know this is a much deeper episode than the probably the whole 181 that have come before it, but sometimes, my friend, we just have to get beyond scratching the surface, right? We have to dig just a little bit deeper. And even if that means you need to get some professional assistance, man, dig in a little deeper. Now, in the meantime of you getting professional assistance, I want to share with you uh, on Friday uh, in episode 186, things that you can do right now to improve your perspective, your life, and your business. And I think the last thing I want to leave here with you, my dark horse friends and family, is like Vera said, there's always someone who cares. And even if no one in your inner circle does, I care. Believe it or not, that's one of the reasons why I get on this microphone every single week and share these stories with you, share these tips, this advice, whatever uh, little bits and nuggets I'm able to share with you. I share because I really do care. And I say that from the bottom of my little dark horse heart. 
All right. What inspiring tips or thoughts resonated with you today, right? Whatever they were, please take some time, write them down, and then get out there and put them into action. Get out there, run your race, get your results, and let me hear about them, right? You can email me at tracy at darkhorseschooling.com. Share the tips or ideas that you came away with, how you put them in action, and then what results you gain from them. Heck, reach out to me, probably even bring you on the show and let you share the awesome results with the entire audience and that's a win-win for both of us right now next week uh, I have the pleasure of sharing with you my guest Jeff Morrill now Jeff is the co-founder of Planet Subaru as well as businesses in retail and telecommunications real estate and insurance right now right about the time that I'm recording this and you should be hearing it TCK Publishing is releasing his book called Profit Wise How to Make Money in Business by Doing the Right Thing oh and by the way Jeff is donating all the author royalties to charity you're going to want to hear this awesome story and the advice he shares. Now, I know you want to keep getting all these valuable tips and inspirational stories from the guests I'm lucky enough to bring on. So please go on down there. Hit that subscribe button. Why are there? Give us a five-star rating. Write us some kind words in the review. Don't keep all this entrepreneurial G-O-L-D all to yourself. Be sure to share this podcast with other entrepreneurs and business owners that you know will get value from it. With that... I'm going to leave you as I always do. Think successfully and take action. Thank you for listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out at www.darkhorseschooling.com. All right. My name is Tracy Brinkman.